You've stolen my dreams away. All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity with you. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I am Bartek. Bartek, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's a... Uh, it's just one of those days, you know, I had a, had a little bit of a restless sleep, but then I kind of woke up and you just kind of push through the day and you kind of like, you know what? That restless sleep means nothing now. It's in the past. Oh, we're still in the AM hours, aren't we? So. Yeah. Oh, no, well, no, it's just, it's just PM now. Uh, Bartek, checking time for you. <laughs> I can see the M. I can see the M. Um, so we are doing Pictures Power, the show in which we cover a movie that has come recommended, whether that recommend- recommendation is from myself, from Bartek, or you, the listening people. Now, last week's episode, I do believe, was a recommendation from you, Bartek. I did the recommend. Uh, and then it falls on to me for this episode. The next episode is listening people's one. So uh, you're saying too much. Which one is it this week? It's me. Ah. Hi, Ryan. I recommended a movie at the end of last week's episode. I recommended Legend, Mm -hmm. specifically the director's cut of Legend. That is a big, big thing to mention. So we are going to be talking about the uh, Ridley Scott's director's cut of the 1985 film, obviously made by Ridley Scott, uh, Legend. Uh, Now, with this film, like I said, there's a director's cut. Just to get stuff out of the way, we are going to be talking spoilers. Obviously, we're going to get in depth about this. So we're going to be talking just that stuff that happens in the director's cut. I've seen one of the other cuts of the movie. I can't remember if it's the UK cut or the American cut. Mm -hmm. Can't remember. But uh, just to answer some questions for you, Bartek, of like differences between cuts. Obviously, length is a difference. Yeah, this cut has 25 minutes more scenes, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, just basic stuff of one has like a text crawl opening okay, the American so Cut it? has to explain the fantasy lore which is very amusing because there's not much to explain in this very simple straightforward movie yeah they get into it all as it goes um few different things darkness gets physically introduced much earlier in one of the cuts and he's and it kind of undercuts when they do the bigger reveal later where his hand comes through the mirror so it's kind of like, why did you do that? Like, we do get introduced to him in two cuts via just him sitting in that chair and his arm pointing, but we don't get the full-on physical introduction until yeah. much later. He was in the shadows for a long time, as darkness tends to be. Some cuts have a happy ending. This one has a more bitter... The director's cut has a more bittersweet ending. Some scenes are omitted or shortened down, while others in the director's cut are elongated or added. Basic stuff. Uh, and the biggest one is uh, the Ridley Scott one. And oh, something about music, I think the right? U-Cut one has a different score. And then the American one has Tangerine Dream do a score, which they compiled in three weeks. Uh, and apparently it's still very good. Like, I, I think I've watched that one because I remember that score a little more. But the Jerry Goldsmith score in this is way more, like, 
on point for what this movie is. It, it makes it less timely. Like the Tangerine Dream one is very 80s score, which if you like that sound of the 80s, then, you know, good on you. I like that sound too. I mean, but like some movies don't need that 80s sound and Legend may or may not be one of those. We can discuss that. But uh, Bartek, I just kind of gave away my history with this movie. I've seen this movie before. I've watched one of the other cuts of this movie. What about you? Have you had a history with this movie have you seen it before heard of it know anything i i'm not sure i have heard of this film before i think i think i was completely blind on this i didn't even look up a premise when i walked in yeah i think i gave away a little thing to you at the end of last week where i made a joke about like legend we all know about legend in some way shape or form because if you've seen blade runner you've seen the leftover footage of unicorns shoved into blade runner to make it make sense. And there was something like that, wasn't there? Uh, just to quickly talk on that. One day we may or may not do a Blade Runner episode. I have a love-hate relationship with that movie. But one of the things I have a hate relationship of <laughs> is Ridley Scott being like, I've master planned this from the very beginning that that uh, he's a replicant, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he didn't. You can clearly tell him because he just kind of shoved in leftover footage from his fantasy movie that no one saw to help connect tissue that he wanted because he thought retrospectively that it would make a better twist to the story. And then you have Harrison Ford from Blade Runner being like, Deckard's not a fucking replicant. He's a fucking person. That's how I played him. <laughs> it's like, he was in the script. That's how I played him. He's not a replicant. Meanwhile, Ridley Scott's like one of those directors who's like lost all foresight and like whatever. That's a whole thing for itself. But it's just to mention that legend is, if you've seen Blade Runner, you've seen a portion of this movie. <laughs> Which is unicorns are in it. So, to give a basic rundown of the plot for those who want to catch up on it or haven't watched this movie, like I said, if you haven't watched it, we're going to be spoiling this. So, do check out the movie. It's a it's a quick watch. Uh, the plot is just your basic kind of good versus evil fairy tale. We're set in some magical forest land where the good is, you know, innocent little fairies and pixies and nonsense like that, and and dwarves, and, and the forest is given life by these two unicorns. They're like the symbol of, you know, the male does this, and the female one does... What was, I don't know what we got told what the male unicorn did, but the female one was life creation and life. Well, when the male one died, it became internal winter, so maybe something about the weather. <laughs> Just weather? It was the weatherman. <laughs> Weather. There's a stallion. Weather uh, stallion. Let's say stability. Uh, and, 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 and then you have the darkness, the evil of this magical land where the darkness is a giant devil. Named who, darkness. Named yeah. darkness, Lord of Darkness. And he wants to destroy the good, have the entire world ruled in forever night so that he can live because as He's we... Weak to sunlight. It's yeah. his destroyer, as we get told twice. Or thrice. We get told that a few times by him. I don't know why you would announce that all the time, but it's a good thing to it's announce. It's a fairy, fairy tale kind it's of a, trope, I guess. Yeah. And that's the thing. This is a very, very like fairy tale type fantasy it, it's movie. Played it's played straight as fuck. Well, depending <laughs> yeah. who's playing it. I mean, <laughs> I think Tim Curry and Robert Picardo are swinging for the hills with this one, but... uh it's played very straight. This is a very straightforward fairy tale adventure movie. It's, you know, 
we've got to get the sword, we've got to get the armor, we've got to figure out how to kill the bad guy and save the princess. There's a literal princess yeah, in this for- movie. Forest dweller companions. Yeah, and they go on little side swamps, quests, dungeons, sort of yeah. underground places. Yeah, dungeons. Um, you know, cells, and yeah, we got bad guy gotta monsters. Got to get the sword to get the armor. Good guy monsters. We've got the you know the. Will the hero take the call of being the hero, the reluctant hero, and and, and glitter? Lots of glitter. <laughs> this is a very glittery movie. There's a lot of glitter. Some There's rhyming lines. A little boy that looks like Frankie Muniz as an elf who was 18 in real life, so take that in. I can't believe that kid was 18. He was fucking 18. Yeah, when I looked it up, I'm like, no, that was a child. <laughs> he was a child, <laughs> but uh, far out. So, Bartek, having not seen this movie, you just admitted that you walked in not knowing anything about the premise Nothing. of it. So, before I ask you what you thought of it and how you absorbed it, was there literally nothing from this movie that you knew? Like, after seeing it, there was nothing that you recognized? Any iconography? I remember last week you said something like, when I see this movie, I'll say, oh, this is what that's from. Mm. And I don't quite know what it was. I was referring to Tim Curry as Big Horn Devil Guy. Okay, That's a very yeah. iconic devil image, and I thought you may or may not have defi- been familiar. And definitely... Most people are familiar that Tim Curry is, like, the saving grace of this movie. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely seen designs like that, and I was thinking to myself, okay, maybe, maybe something about the makeup and the design of this character is mm. what I was meant to get. Yeah. That end, I thought you might be like, oh, oh, Tim Curry. Yes, yes, I know that Tim Curry. Because like, well, I know that, I know he's that... one of those actors for you that I've brought up where it's like, oh, and Tim Curry, and you're like, oh, I've seen Rocky Horror. I was like, yeah, but remember he's this iconic thing, and you're like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, Even he's... if you haven't seen that movie, <laughs> his performance was great in this. Oh, we'll talk about that. That's <laughs> that will be the whole episode. Tim Curry. So. What did you think of this movie? I've thought a lot about it. Um, in in terms of saying if something's good or not, you know, you you put up the positives against the negatives, and I think this film has a lot of positives going for it. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, one of my negatives is that I wasn't fully interested in it. I wasn't fully invested. So while I can praise a lot of things, I don't know that I can say I liked it very much. Yeah. Which isn't to say that I'm going to shit on it or anything, but it's just, I guess, not really my cup of tea. You didn't get invested in the characters, the world, all of it? They were were fine, but I I wasn't, like, you know, crazy about it. But, yeah, like, but I just want to narrow down, like, is there anything specific that is a big, like, failure in terms of investment? Like, characters, the world, the tone, the filmmaking itself, in terms of visuals, editing, Oh, in in terms of the visual spectacle, I think that this film is really, really, really good. It's just... It just wasn't really working for me. There's really not much that I can point out and say, oh, fucking this thing, but... Yeah, Mm. it's just like, you know, I wasn't wasn't feeling it, basically. But it, it is... There's a lot to praise for it, and I can definitely praise them throughout this episode. Yeah, so you're just not 100% sure what it is to pinpoint that gave that barrier for you. It's just kind of generally, like, I just didn't feel it. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was a bit too played straight for my taste, I, I don't know, but <laughs> I know that that's definitely an intentional thing for this film. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely intentional. So... You're not a huge fan of it. There's a lot that you praise and admire, but overall it left you kind of cold? A little, yeah. That's its legacy, this movie. A lot when of people look... are like, we want to like this movie, 
it looks gorgeous. You have some great performances. It the feels, world is cool, but it feels empty. It feels like this is a cult classic that a group of people somewhere really like. Yeah. So, before I talk about my stuff, what is your history with Ridley Scott as a filmmaker? And do you have any? And if you do, do you what do you feel about his films? Do you like him, hate him, feel indifferent? Um, I know I've seen Blade Runner, and did he do Prometheus? Yeah. I've seen Prometheus. And Alien. Uh, well, as you know, that's one of the big franchises that I've just missed out. Except Prometheus, of course. Um, and, and Gladiator. He did Gladiator. I might have seen Gladiator once when I was a little, but I don't remember it too well. So he, he, it's, he did, he it's did a, that, uh, what was that Moses movie that everyone got angry at him for? Where he got a bunch of white actors and painted them brown, and it was like done in 2013 or something? Uh, it's got the word king in it. Exodus? Exodus, it? gods and kings. He did that. Okay. <laughs> um, he, it's one of those names that every time I hear it, it's like, oh, that's that's a, that's one of the good directors. So all his films mm. must be like good. I mean, I didn't like Prometheus much, but... So I walked in being like, oh, well, this is Ridley Scott and this is a director's cut. So it's mm-hmm. probably going to be pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty. Yes, it was pretty. It had some decent things. So... My history, you know, what I feel is I'm very conflicted about this movie. I'm very much on the same page in terms of I find it a hollow experience and I can very much pinpoint things that make it that way for me that I lose this connection with. I think that uh, the script needed more meat on the bones in terms of not just story stuff, but just like fleshing out fun atmospheric stuff. Like I wanted, I, I think that you could have had not just fun banter, but just more banter between characters or more physicality and motions between them to make it feel like okay because in terms of scripting a lot of the stuff is there this is a film that you can see it all laid out there but for some reason it just doesn't work like every character in the movie has their moment everyone does something everyone contributes to the plot there's no stragglers there's no obnoxious comedic relief characters there's there's not necessarily something in the script that's a glaring big omission problem that you can go that's the problem it's a lot of all the things that are working need to have more strength and more follow through on them i think another thing is some actors in this movie specifically for me tom cruise doesn't bring the uh, character to life as strongly as others obviously tim curry um so you feel like I want a bit more from this character themselves. And when when he's first introduced, and like you know, he's mm-hmm. like doing that little pose, and like uh. he's being spoken to, and he's not saying anything. Like I felt like there was a lot of things that we were learning about him there. Like I thought he was going to be like a bit of a Tarzan character, but then yeah. as the film goes on, he's very very much like an everyman. Yeah, yeah, and so I have problems with this movie. Big, big, big problems. Very big problems. But I like this movie. I'm not a big fantasy fan either. That is a big thing too. The fantasy genre isn't something I enjoy very much. I'm a science fiction person. I like... When I was watching it, I'm like, oh, Ryan picked this. I like (laughs) rules. And I'm not saying fantasy doesn't have rules. Of course they do. This film has rules. But I like tangible rules that I can understand in my own reality. And of course, science fiction stretches it because of course, you know, we don't have transporter beams. We don't have spaceships that go warp speed, but like, but we could have that, but we can't have magic. And the way that there, some science fiction goes out of its way to explain it and expand upon technology or, or things that we understand in our world. I go, okay, but with me, fantasy, 
uh, sometimes I feel like, oh, magic just is the answer, and I find that a bit lazy. I feel like this movie falls on that sword at the very end. The very end, where darkness gets destroyed, and the doors explode open for no reason other than, it's magic! The sunlight hit the door! So it exploded! That's not how our world works, and that's not how the world in this movie has established itself. But you have to take it as, well, it's a magical world. And that is what I don't like about fantasy. But there are some fantasy properties that I do enjoy. And this is one that I, you know, it's a simple little adventure story. It reminds me of something like Willow. You know, these little little adventure stories is about the characters more so than just the fantasy world. And of course, this movie is about the spectacle of this fantasy world. But it's a very small little world. We don't understand, like... Where's her kingdom that she's a princess of? It does because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't need that story. We don't need to see that bit where Tom Cruise walks through a village of people and they're like, Oh, Gabner, my leg is frozen. We don't need that. We just need him to go from A to B and the B is the castle. I thought he was Tarzan, but he's actually a governor. <laughs> you know, well, he becomes a prince at the end, but then he rejects it. But uh, I do enjoy this movie. I'm not a huge Ridley Scott fan. Mm-hmm. I like Alien. I hate Prometheus. I hate that movie. Sorry, the Contrarians podcast who fucking love it, but I don't like it at all. I run right. Have a very conflicted opinion about Blade Runner. I I don't know if it's myself or the film I have a problem with with that movie. It's your teacher. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I had to study that in high school, and as we all know, certain properties that you had to study it actually ruins the experience of that media. And I don't know whether to blame the media or not. So I might have baggage with that. I'm not a fan of Gladiator. I'm not a fan of Exodus, Gods and Kings. I'm not a fan of current era Ridley Scott. He's kind of up his own ass and he's more into pure spectacle at this point. And when he's not, he's doing very, what I would call American films, where he's doing films like, this is about the CIA espionage, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care about Russell Crowe on a phone to Leonardo DiCaprio for a movie, because that's a real movie. He's hit or miss for me, largely miss, if I'm honest. And I'm also like you, Bartek, where I think, well, this is a big filmmaker. I should respect his work a lot more. But honestly, I don't think there's one of his films that I truly orgasm and love and I would call in my top blah, blah, blahs of films. Like, I like Alien. You know, Alien's probably his best one for me that I enjoy because I enjoy that film from start to finish without any reservations. Well, this film, I have reservations. And Blade Runner, I have reservations, and and so on and so forth. So, Bartek. Yes. Legend. It is a movie with a lot of spectacle, as we mentioned. This is taken in a fantasy world that's inside of a studio. Yep, practical effects, everyone. The makeup was done by the uh, Rob Rob Botine, who did the practical makeup for The Thing. So, very iconic makeup design. So, let's talk about the makeup design and that kind of stuff. What did you think of it all? I thought it was really good. Like, with the Tim Curry, uh, there were times where I have to remember that, like, hey, this this was actually in front of the camera. Yes. It's very big. It's very, you know, you can see the details of his face and everything like that. It was just really impressive. And when I read about the trivia for it... A lot of shit went down. Yeah, of course. Did you have a favourite design? 
a favorite character design or piece of makeup design other than darkness because that's the obvious one that everyone would say. I feel like most of the other characters who had a lot of makeup design on them were among the shorter characters and there weren't really too many close-ups of them and I guess some of like the I can't remember what their race was, but like a bunch of the dwarves that were hanging out with Tom Cruise, they all mm. they all kind of blended together for me. I think they were dwarves. <laughs> dwarves, that's just what I thought. Um, I I just think they were all pretty effective, but yeah, that that one right there, this darkness is the real standout. Not Blix, the well, goblin. Yeah, you know, yeah, he was, that was the main one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he was, or she, was it a he or she? It was a he character, but played by a woman. Played by a woman, because he was going to be crowned a prince after this. Yeah, was all that's done. right. That's right. I, I feel like he was in shadows for a fair bit. But he was fucking cool. You could see the, his nose the whole time. <laughs> and the eyes sunken in yeah. to the brow. I love that design. It's based on, based on Keith Richards, which is amazing. <laughs> of course, the makeup design is amazing. And as you said, it's really great to see it all practical and in front of the camera. What about that makes it great for you? Especially now that we live in this age where... This movie wouldn't be made in the same way that this one was. This would be a CGI motion capture suit guy, like yeah, Thanos or something. It'd be like, I don't know, some scenes in the, of the forest from like Pan or Alice in Wonderland or something like that. Mm. Um, And you know what? Bring up those two films. I feel like there is a sort of like darker tinge to modern day, like these kind of films, whereas this one... Even though there were a lot of dark scenes early on, they were pretty well lit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you could really see the details, and the camera was always positioned in such a way that you never knew if, like, this was actually a place that's been, like, decorated or if this was a set. Yeah. I know the trivia was that, like, apparently it burned down, so it was a set, but, you know, the way that the camera was positioned and the way everything was designed, it just looked really cool, really authentic, and it's nice to think about. Yeah. I also got to mention that uh, Meg's design was very good. Mm. That was a very good That's design. That's a little swamp lady, right? Yes. Or was it a swamp? Little. Yeah. <laughs> She's <was> very <laughs> tall. I don't, I don't know why I said little, but yeah. The little swamp lady design. But yeah, that was a cool design. A very animatronic, but also like physical mm. person underneath it all. But uh, yeah, there's something to be said about it being real. A lot of movies now, even movies I like... I have to say that I don't get absorbed into the illusion as strongly because I notice that the backgrounds are green screen. I always, always notice. There's never a time, really, with these big modern movies, like any of the Avengers movies, any of that, I don't believe that it's real. I guess, yeah, it's just those little details of, like, when a character brushes up against a leaf and it reacts. It's not, like, just a constant animation or it's like oh it's windy do the wind animation but it's not even that like sometimes it's just like the lighting it just looks like sometimes characters the backgrounds just look like screensavers and it's just so distracting to me and cgi characters we're getting there you know thanos look great those planet of the apes movies are cool and whatnot but you know, there's still that thing where I go, I know it's not real, and I'm watching a movie to be absorbed into this fantasy, to this story, to this world, and if I'm constantly noticing that something is obviously not real in that kind of way, 
It's very distracting to me. And of course, in this movie, there's distracting elements too of things not being real. There's a lot of audio problems that we will talk about, but also a lot of the makeup has problems too, like sort of floppy floppiness and the horns become a little floppy when he runs. But at least I know they're fucking real. Like, you know, like I know they're not real horns, but I mean, I know that it's a real thing on that actor. I just know it's not like... It's as real as Troll 2. It's not cats, mm. right? <laughs> It's not fucking cat, so it's not that fucking movie where Harrison Ford's with a dog at the that's out in cinemas right now. Like oh, it's not God. like it's not that fucking fake shit. I'd rather a guy dressed up in a big animatronic makeup appliance suit or costume or whatever roaming around in the scene. I'd rather Tim he's something. Tim Curry, at no point did I ever notice that he isn't that big. Like, I, I I immediately believe that he was that big. Mm. They did a great job of force perspective and, and how the suit and the makeup was designed to make him look fucking huge. And the way Tim Curry would physically move without it being distracting in that the fact that he's moving to make it look like he's big. Like, we talked about this before when we did our Dark Knight Rises episode where Tom Hardy had to be bigger than what he was. And he had these very over-the-top physical hand gestures because if you noticed his arms look really small in comparison because he's standing on a box or whatever, or boots or whatever. So there are things actors have to do to make their body look right when they're being bigger than what they are. And Tim Curry, he does it without it being distracting. I never once went, oh, he's not 18 feet tall or whatever the hell he's supposed to be. He is that tall. Like I I believe it. Yeah. I guess, yeah, one big thing with this kind of acting is you also have to, like, give a sense of, like, oh, how much does this character weigh by their movements? Because, like, when you look at giant monsters and monster movies, you know, they move kind of slowly lumbering. So you kind of translate that to someone a bit more human-sized. Yeah, exactly. So there's something to be said about the makeup. And, of course, the makeup guy that we talked about, Rob Bottin, uh, he's he was the king of this. He's retired from it now. But, like, he did the thing. That's one of the greatest movies of of this caliber of like actual makeup and design where we still look at it today and look at it and go, it's fucking amazing. Darkness is a cool design. So this movie has Tom Cruise in it. Yeah, it does. Were you surprised to see him? I was, yeah. Didn't know Thomas was here. Tommy Cruise and, uh, and the princess, you know who she is? I don't. She did one other big, big, big movie called Ferris Bueller. Right. She's right. the girl. <laughs> She's Sloan. Um, she was JTT. It was right after this. So she's 16 in this movie, in Legend. Yeah, I read a trivia which, point that like she was of age by the time it was done. Amazing. Amazingly shocked. I was shocked to discover that she was that young. You know, like, you just absorb it and go, yeah, this is an adult. <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing that low-cut dress. She's an adult. <laughs> she's a princess. She's almost a queen. She, she's almost a queen, yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Mia, Sarah, uh, and Tim Curry are the big three players, but there are other actors in this movie, the dwarf actors, as we mentioned, there's that kid, uh, the kid who's not a kid actor. The 18-year-old. The 18-year-old. Um, those guys, they all did great job, you mm-hmm. know, they had to do their job, they had to be the supporting characters, and... I think they all did great. I don't think there's a weak performance in this movie, honestly, other than I have reservations about Tom Cruise. Mm. Uh, the, the dwarves kind of blended together in my head, but they, they were fine. Yeah, I think that's a part of if they put more focus 
on giving them quirks as characters because they do and they don't. Like the one that like was meant to guard the unicorn, you know, they left him alone. He had a scene with just him and the princess. So like he stood out a bit more. We learned like, oh yeah, he was the one that had the pot in his head. Yeah. The brain pan. Yeah. And then the other one was, I can't remember. There was a dynamic of one would always go the wrong direction. That was a constant thing in the dungeon. He would always be like, let's go this direction. He's like, no, we came from this way. He was always constantly leading mm. them the wrong direction all the time. And then partway through the film, one of the evil goblin-y people turned out to be one of them. So another one entered the picture. Yeah, another one entered the picture, which was kind of cool. I like that. Mm. They didn't get to do much, though. But we'll talk about that. And then, of course, our goblins, they all had personalities. As we mentioned, Blix was a fun character mm. who... If I have to give a big criticism, I was very upset that that character didn't get any resolution. They just left the movie. They never came back. Yeah, I really like the whole rhyming lines thing. The rhyming lines, but also like this notion of they're going to betray the Lord of Darkness because darkness doesn't last forever. We mortal beings are better than that kind of logic. Also, because this is darkness, the antagonist is the type that like stays out of the picture until, like, the last act. You know, this is the character that basically is going to be the antagonist when they're not around, so you'd want to see them be. In all fairness, Blix is the one who performs the most atrocious acts in the movie. Darkness doesn't really get to. He's that kind of character where he's going to and then he's stopped, but Blix kills a unicorn, Mm -hmm. chops off its horn, and uses it to dick about, and we never find out what happens to that character. They were going to be crowned a prince. So by the logic of the movie, does that mean that character now is the Prince of Darkness in this universe? Because in the universe, it seems like you need that character. Yeah, what happens when the King of Darkness dies? Yeah, exactly. Like, that was very confusing. Oh, well, as we well, find out the... with Lord of Darkness, he's not even the king. Because yeah. he has his dad. And also, depending on the cut you're watching, he's not even out. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I loved all those supporting characters. I thought Blix. I thought the 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 pig one was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that the one with the helmet gets chucked in, and then they come back, and that was kind of cute and very fun characters for supporting roles. And the, like Una, she was a fun character, a little fairy. The fairy, yeah. She was fun and jealous and mean. At first, you think she's she's a Tinkerbell yeah. character. She's a mean little bitch. Um. What was some of the weaker elements for you? Do you agree with me that Tom Cruise is a weak element, or did you enjoy him? Like I said, when you first see him, and the way he acts when the princess is talking to him, I had a lot of expectations of this character that would make him, like, unique, but then he ended up being just, like, an everyman that's a little bit braver and stronger, I guess, so... Yeah. A little too played straight for a hero. I found him just a little too... bland and posy. He did a lot of posing. I hated... I personally did not like him doing his little squat walk all the time. I <laughs> All I could just keep noticing was it was just Tom Cruise just acting, you know? Like, I didn't understand why he needed to walk like that. And then uh, there's whole scenes where he doesn't walk like that. You can't call him short if he's acting small. <laughs> no, exactly. But, like, I found it very distracting. He's constantly posing. His hair's always perfect groomed to do like a framing of his face. Yeah, especially when he's jumped off cliffs, swam through water and he's like in a windy environment. I found that very distracting for our main character to be constantly on and pretty. But he 
the character itself isn't badly written. I just think that Tom Cruise just wasn't necessarily the right pick for this role. I don't know. I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan, maybe. Is that the reason why? Like, I, I've never really enjoyed him. I enjoyed him in Tropic Thunder. You know, I've enjoyed him in Night and Day. But, like, that's him being really fun and goofy. But usually when he's being the straight leading man, like he is in this, I don't know. I just, I've never vibed with him. What about you? Are you a big Tom Cruise fan? Are you Mission Impossible boy? Are you Risky Businessman? I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a big fan of his, but certainly when he's in the action movies, he's a bit more charismatic, a bit more easy to like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've just never been to those Mission Impossible movies. Night and Day was fun. Night and Day, but that's a comedy. Yeah, that's but it was also being, slightly action, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's a, it's a comedy with action being secondary. Like, I think when he's being straight-laced action man, he can be okay at points, but I don't like Top Gun. I hate Top Gun. I haven't seen it. I'm not a fan of Risky Business. I haven't seen it. I'm not a fan of a lot of his sci-fis, if I'm honest. Like, I like, was it Edge of Tomorrow or Lived I Repeat? It has two names. But because seen. he <laughs> plays a wormy coward in that, and that's different for him. I haven't seen The Mummy. Nor do I want to. It's got a good trailer. Sometimes. <laughs> depending on which one you watch. The one with no sound? <laughs> yeah. Here's the weak acting element for me. And I think that's a problem because he's the main character of the movie. And I just don't care for him. I just don't care for him. I just don't. You're a good man, Tom Cruise. Very strong, very religious. But, you know, we just don't think you're too good. I mean, I, I wouldn't call him a good man. but <laughs> Okay, Xenu. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's talk positives. We were just talk about the negatives, negatives, and I know you have some things that like, but I want to know what what you did like about this movie. Stuff that really rang home, and were there specific scenes or or moments or character beats or lines that really struck with you? I mean, most of the visuals in this film, I think, you know, just nail it. Like costumes, makeup. We've already talked about that. Set is a big one. Cinematography. Cinematography, like we said, uh, forced perspective, good character, uh, not character, camera placement. Um, I really liked watching, because obviously I thought the Gump character was a child throughout the film. I mean, I think they're supposed <laughs> to be, they're supposed but to be. like, that kid is 18. <laughs> watching him give Tom Cruise the, the, the crazy eyes. Oh, yeah, I knew you would love that. <laughs> that I knew was you'd great. Love that. When he figures out the riddle and he's so angry about it. It was it was specifically when um yeah because that that scene begins with him friendly and he goes through a bunch of emotions but after that when he reveals like what happened with the unicorn he gets like really angry and it's just like the low angle yeah. crazy eyes I'm like this is a child but no he isn't <laughs> looking at Tom Cruise um I I think that character was pretty fun I uh, like them too yeah I liked when he was like kill her <laughs> kill her now yeah it had a he lot Palpatine did. It had a lot of that fairy tale logic of here's a thing that you're gonna do now. If you pass, you'll live and we'll be friends. If you do- if you don't, simply we'll kill you. Yeah, yeah. Was there a specific? Because this is a movie of visuals. Mm. Was there a specific visual that stuck with you? Something visually like that little moment I, I, that was striking to you. I have several. One of my ones that I'll tell you while you think about it is, I really like that. I think it's a special effect. I don't know if this was added in later or not. Where Directed to 2002, right? Yeah, but she's in the darkness's room and she's opening that box, like the temptation scene. 
and behind, and then they cut to a, a, a shot of the little baby statue that's crossed its arms, and then it uncrosses its arms and leans forward, and then, like, in the background of all the shots, you see it kind of crawling around and moving. That was very striking Was this to me. around the time of the dance? Yes, it was just before the dance happened. Yeah, I found that a very striking visual, just, like unnerved me i don't know why it never gets fully explained it just kind of is and you just go it's so unsettling that visual i don't know why it just struck me and the whole dance sequence is visually just far out it's amazing that and her dress is iconic to me that whole look she has when she gets tempted by darkness is mm. iconic to look at i just love that dress i love that makeup and i you know that that's some visuals that really stuck with me. I don't know about any specific moments of like freeze frame or maybe like a you know short gif loop or anything like that uh, stuck out to me. But the contrast of because early on after we first have the opening scene of darkness talking to Glix and all that, um, you know we we see the forest and like I said the sets in this film are great. Just seeing that and then you've got the contrast of when the wintry eternal night happened mm. which is almost transitioned to by tom cruise going into the lake and then coming out and he punches out of the lake yeah, as soon yeah. as a horn is cut into it was really it good was, yeah but that's how you make films yeah well what i'm getting at is though that just thinking about the contrast of like this is the good world and this is the world being like you know evilified i like yeah. i like Corrupted. the contrast in this film and just locations are really good yeah then that's point. Like it does a really good job of visual storytelling, and and I enjoyed that too. No, there are a lot of visual just like ooh that stuck with me. Everything with darkness stuck with me. Like when she faints, and he leans down, and the wind is blowing his cape. That and the fireplace is behind him. That's something you'd want on your wall. Mm. Of course, what I was going to mainly refer to was his entrance from the mirror. Uh, yeah, yeah, just the mirrored things of going on. It's like, but, is this like a weird monster? I mean, it is. But, it is. <laughs> but like, you know, not humanoid. Yeah, and just him entering through that mirror, that's fucking amazing. That like, was, it, the, yeah, it was, it made sense how it was shot, but it was really surreal. And I the, remember at the time. sound design is amazing. That crackling sound, and it sounds sci-fi, but magical, but demonic. It's all amazing. I also love the... The visual, I don't know why, but when Tom Cruise gets the ring at the end, her ring, and the water's still pouring on the ring, I thought that was a really interesting visual. I don't know why, just kind of, that image is just stuck in my brain. Uh, and of course, I, I, I love, love, love the creepy visuals of any time we speak to Darkness's father, just those two glowing green eyes. Hmm. That was... And we don't get an explanation on what the fuck's happening there. It's just kind of like, you take it as you want. And I love that. There's a lot of... F or, or just filmmaking visually. That whole sequence of... Uh, uh, and the sound design does help. But that whole sequence where the, the, the goblin former elf creature gets taken away to get cooked into a pie. That whole sequence where they're looking down the... The corridor and they see the guy like beating up another one and torturing in the fire all that visually is just amazing 
this is a visually pleasing movie. This has a lot going on for it. There was I can't remember if it was a review or a comment that I found when I was just browsing the internet, but there was someone, I think it was a YouTube comment, that was talking about how, like, this film is perfect. You can watch the film completely muted and understand 100% what's going on. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but there is definitely some truth to there's that. There is some level of truth. It's not 100% there, but there is some level. Uh... For me, there's just so many things I do enjoy about this movie. I love Robert Picardo as Meg. <laughs> I love that whole scene. I love that Tom Cruise like uses its own vanity to kill it and just chop its fucking head off and it screams I like still. It, I like that it was very consistently like you know being flattered, but still like I'm still gonna eat you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just and wasn't I, budging on that. And of course, that's Robert Picardo underneath all that makeup and doing the voice. And you remember who Robert Picardo was from Small Soldiers? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we did have him just recently, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, he was, which one was he? He was one explaining what the chip does. Right, right. He was in the co- he was in the space astronaut. Yeah, scene. and he's my one of my favorite Star Trek actors. He plays one of my favorite characters. So him in this movie under all this prosthetics, and that's what I mean, like. Certain actors know how to act underneath all that prosthetics, even if they haven't done it before. And Tim Curry and Robert Picardo, for example, both seasoned pros of acting. They can out-act anyone. They know they know how to act underneath all of this prosthetics and animatronics and all this crazy crap, because that whole Meg scene, you're like... And biosuits. Yeah, and, and that whole Meg scene is great, and I wish it went longer. Mm. Like, I wanted that character to be more, but, like, it's creepy and weird, and it just is, like, a little detour. And it felt, it felt very fairy tale too, because, you know, you got that whole logic of, like, you know, all these creatures have specific traits about them, and you have to use the traits against them. Like, it almost yeah. reminded me of, like, you know, when you got a Medusa or a Gorgon, the, the whatever, whichever one, like, petrifies you, and you use a yeah. mirror to petrify them. Yeah, yeah. It also reminded me of, like, a harpy kind of creature with the kind of... Just the design for some reason, not like a full-on harpy, but just like that big, tall, female, gangly-fingered, screaming banshee, crazy monster. Yeah. Also, it's at a swamp, so you think like, oh, swamp monster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I love the build-up too, like the water moving around, and it attacks the dwarf that they sent out ahead. And <laughs> yeah, I love what you said too, where it's just like, oh, that's very flattering. I hope the rest of you as sweet as your <laughs> tongue. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to eat you. Just like unrelentingly, like I'm not like, budging on I'm this. I'm not budging on I this. I love it, but I'm not budging. <laughs> I mean, this is new, by the way. I haven't, I haven't had this one before, but you're, you're, you're going to be eaten, okay? Like, you're very, very tasty, and I like this shield. I'm going to keep that <laughs> as well to remind myself of you. And I'm going to stare at it for a little too long while you realize that I'm not going to budge. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love that whole scene, and, and Picardo does a fucking amazing job. I love every line that Darkness has to say. Every line is great. There's it's not a well bad delivered. line. Yeah, everything. Oh, every, I listened to this on my sound system, and when Tim Curry spoke, and they obviously modulate his voice to some degree. My whole house rumbled and shook because of the bassiness of that voice. Obviously, yeah. I, when I was watching it, I knew that obviously there was some sort of sound effect going on with his voice. But part of me was also like... It's Tim Curry. Was he actually able to sound like that diegetically? I mean, it's Tim Curry. He's, he's got a deep... He can do a deep voice. Yeah, he can. He is amazing. I want to hear Darkness go, hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear Darkness sing. 
it was so upsetting that we didn't get any singing from him, right? I wanted to hear him fucking sing. We heard her sing like four fucking times. We I don't did, care. Yeah, I was like, hmm. I, yeah. I want him to sing. I wanted him to sing while she danced. <laughs> sing over the credits. Oh man, if he did, if Tim Curry did a cre- end credit sequence song for this instead of Brian Ferry, I would have been happy as shit. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, but he did that. Uh, the, was it the Teenage Witch or whatever that movie is called? And he has a song in that where it's about it's Halloween, and it's just like out of nowhere, Tim Curry sings, <laughs> and it makes no sense other than we could get Tim Curry sing. Um, I'll link it to you. You'll love it. But. Sure. Uh, <laughs> And he's singing with, like, a green screen background. He's wearing this cape, and it's so absurd. He's wearing, like, a white tuxedo. But he's the strength of this movie, yeah? Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's what you watch this for. And it's upsetting, isn't it? Because Tim Curry's delivering a performance that this movie doesn't deserve. I wish that this was a better movie so that it could match his performance. This is another example of name a movie that is lackluster, but there's a great performance in there. <laughs> I remember when we did Savages, one of the Facebook posts I made was like, what's the saving grace of a film you've done? And, you know, we've already used that post for Savages, but it would apply for this one. Yeah, I mean, easily. we can still ask. I mean, this yeah. is this is a, a saving grace performance, right? This is what... Like, I'm not saying that the movie's a complete dud. It's just like, something's I, lacking there to as make someone, you connect. As someone whose main criticism is that I wasn't interested, I was interested when he was performing on screen. Because he's so sexy. Like, he's just... Tim Curry exudes sex. There's something so sexual and primal about him. And that's what is always fascinating to see. Like, that's what we love about Frankenfurter mm-hmm. from Rocky Horror. That's what we love about his character in Clue. There's always this cheekiness there. And with him in, as Darkness, there's so many little cheeky smiles and head nods. But it's just like there's this raw, primal sexuality there. And although this character isn't like. I mean, he wants to fuck her. I mean, that's what he wants. But, but like, but even on the other end of affection, there is also a romantic edge to him. Yeah, he's a he, but his romance is evil. Yeah, it's evil because he wants to own her. But it's not like fully sexual. It's like there's romance and there's sexuality. It's that old-fashioned fairy tale, biblical type romance of an evil character. I kidnapped of... you, and you would be my wife, not my sex slave, my wife. But it's not even that. It's also it's it's more like you are innocence personified, mm-hmm. and I shall corrupt you. Like, that's what it is. Like, it's exactly that, right? Like, it makes you think of biblical stuff when it comes to, like, he's the snake. They're Adam and Eve. Like, you know, that's what I mean. This is the Garden of Eden, and he's the snake. Mm-hmm. He's tempting her. He's he's trying to get her to fall, and he, she doesn't in the end. But, like... When she says little... she wants to kill the unicorn, that's like... <gasps> and he loves it. <laughs> He, he fucking loves it. It's Christmas for him. He's laughing so much throughout this movie that you can make a super cut and it's like probably five minutes worth of Tim Curry being like, ah, 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 And you laugh with him. You're like, yes! I love him. I love Tim Curry. He's one of my favorite character actors. We all love him. I don't know if anyone doesn't love Tim Curry because he's always fun. He's always fun fun and this is a fun performance but it makes you so angry that none of the movie matches that performance like even that scene where he uh he physically appears and he's like that hooded figure and he's telling off Blix and he takes the unicorn horn back that scene's amazing and he's not physically in it but his voice is and it makes you so upset that the rest of the movie doesn't match how awesome 
that performance is. And I don't even think Darkness necessarily is a well-written character. I mean, like I said, he exposition dumps for a lot of the movie. He reveals what his weakness is a little too often. Mm. Uh, but like we said, that's a part of the fairy tale whimsy. It's a convention, yeah. But Tim Curry knows how to fucking chew scenery like a motherfucker. <laughs> and he knows, like... Delivery and performance is on point. Yeah. Obviously, Bartek, at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to play audio from the movie, and it's going to just be Tim Curry speaking, because why would I not? Like, why would I play anything t- Tom Cruise has to fucking say? Like, Tim Curry having that whole thing where it's like, she's like, you're an animal! And he's just like... Pfft. So you're not going to have her just sing? No. <laughs> Like that whole scene where he's, she's like, "You're an animal. I can't love you." And he's like, "We're all animals. We're just too, like, too many of us are afraid to admit that." And he just like spins away with his cape blowing. You're like, "Yes, he is amazing," and it's so upsetting that he's not in the movie enough either. I wish he was in it more, mm. but at the same time. The American cut has him revealed and in it a little bit more, like he's revealed earlier. But at the same time. Him being in it more would kind of... It's a weird mix, isn't it? Like, him being in it more would ruin it, but also... And, and like, reveal of him and where he is in the movie, that reveal is perfect timing. But at the same time, he needs to be in it more. And it's that funny thing of, like, I think it was also in the trivia for Apocalypse Now, where, like, something was up with the actor, so they wanted to not show him... They wanted to show him a bit less in the film, and that added to it. Yeah, and... What I'm saying is, I want him to be Jareth, the Goblin King from Labyrinth, where he's in it a, a lot, but also not too much. Where that David Bowie, you know, in that movie, it's iconic, and we all love him, but it's like Tim Curry's doing that kind of thing, but he's not in it as much, and that's a real detriment. I think one of my big problems, too, to get to darkness as a character, and I think um, it's a shame. I wish the whole movie, it was him and her, like, not the whole movie, but I wish throughout the whole movie we cut back to him courting her, and I really wish that we have that moment in which she does get lured over, so that way we, the audience, have a little little bit of a belief that she will kill that unicorn, so that way there's not that... that you know, like, we know that she's not going to do that, because literally she just went from, I'm refusing to sit down, to, hey, can I kill that unicorn? So take a bit more of a leaf out of Your Highness, where we saw the villain and the kidnapped damsel a fair bit. Yeah, I want it to be... What I was going to refer to is uh, the Steven Spielberg film Hook. In Hook, Hook is trying to convert and tempt the, the uh, Robin Williams' son to join him. And you believe that dynamic because that's the whole movie. Like he's doing it throughout the whole movie and or at least a good ton of it. And I really wish that we didn't wait till the end of the second act, start of the third act to have that. I wish that she got captured straight away instead of just like running to the house to hear stuff. I really wish that it didn't wait so long and then we had her there throughout the whole thing. That is true. By that point in the film, I actually wasn't even considering in my head that, like, oh, yeah, she will go evil. Like, I I knew it was a ruse the whole way through. Yeah, and I don't believe necessarily that Tim Curry's character, Darkness, would fall for it so easily. I wish that there was a little more legwork between the two characters of courting one another. Like, I also wish that Tim Curry got wooed by something about her other than she's innocent and I want to corrupt. Like, I really wish that there was a little bit more of a genuine romantic connection. And not to say that I wanted them to be... I'm not shipping them. I'm not saying... I just want some connection there so that when we get to that point where she's going to kill the unicorn, we, the audience, 
can feel a little bit bamboozled about it and a little bit like, will she actually do this? Is she actually tempted over the darkness? I guess it's a weird thing of like, you know how I brought up earlier that like with these typical fantasy films, all the creatures have like that one weakness and like, you know it and like that will be their downfall. Yeah. I guess his big performance almost convinces you that like he's above that. But yeah. because the film's still written in that way, he still has that downfall thing of like, oh, I'll still say my weakness. I'll still be fooled. Yeah, when things seem to be going my way. Yeah, it feels it feels like with the big performance he's giving, he should be above it. But also, I will say, to counter that, mm-hmm. the film does do a good job of showing him being pathetic because he's constantly unsure of himself. He's always asking for advice from his father. He pleads to his daddy at the end, like stuff like that, where you see, and he gets so angry so oh, quickly. When she doesn't want to sit down the multiple times he asks. <laughs> So there is something there, but here's the thing. We need more. We need more, more, more of it. And it's because Tim Curry is so charismatic, but also we just need more of it to flesh out the the dynamics there. That's the problem. We need more of that. And we need more of the dwarves doing their things and more of, you know, the fairy doing her thing. We need more of everyone doing things and not just like, objectives or or, or fesh, fe, fe, fetching something or, or, or doing plot related things we just need more character for things to to flesh out those little things because everyone has something everyone has a little moment and that's great but I wish that we had it fleshed out more I wish that certain characters had a better resolution like Blix has a resolution mm-hmm. that would have been great um, to talk about resolutions what did you think about how darkness went out I kind of complained about how the doors just explode. I, I think that's a fucking shame. I, I, I think it's just like, could we not have figured something out? Like, I like the idea that they had where they get all the shiny things. Because that's also using the villain's vanity against them again. Because mm-hmm. this guy is vain enough to have shiny silver all over the place. And that's kind of undoes him. But like... I, I guess... With my expectations going up to the scene, I wasn't expecting the visual of him being defeated to be falling into space. <laughs> yeah. That was a bit odd, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But what did you think of the the doors just magically exploding to let the sun hit him? Because he makes a point of closing those fucking doors and being in the fucking basement. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know what to think. It is a bit odd, isn't it? But with him... What do you think about his final moments of... Do you agree? What do you think about his whole point of view about, like, that they need him, that he needs to exist? What do you think about that? It's a speech I think I've heard a lot in a bunch of fantasy work, so to some extent it was kind of a familiar thing. Yeah. Um, And I guess they did give a bunch of lore about him throughout the film, but I, I don't know. I think maybe if the film, like you said, had a little bit more explanation of what he really means to the world, like... Yeah, maybe that would have been a bit more poignant. Like, is there any consequences like, is to he, him ha- being destroyed? Like, how they were consequences to the unicorn being attacked? Yeah, like is, it like, is it forever now? Sun? Does his power come from that? Like, you know, if you talk about yin and yang, the little bit of darkness that exists in everything in the world. Like, yeah, is, was it meant to be like, oh, his name's Darkness? You're meant to ensue that, but like. You still gotta like establish the rules of like what he specifically means when he says his name is Darkness. Now, what do you think about? You mentioned it. He gets sucked into space. What did you think about that? 
Like, I how do you to, feel I about to, that? I had to rewind the film because I didn't quite understand. Like, he fell into a portal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he goes out. Like, he comes from some netherworld. Mm. Hence the mirror scene. Like, where does he go? I guess into, you know, it's interdimensional thing. But yeah, is this is this him being defeated in a like beaten down, weakened sense, or is it just him being trapped somewhere? Well, did you notice the little visual trick that they did when he gets sucked into space? Did you notice what he became? I watched it twice, so I should remember, but I don't know. I slept on it. What was it again? He becomes a constellation. Little stars shoot out, like three stars or three or four stars shoot out into space and they add to a new constellation. Okay. So I find that very interesting Mm. that darkness becomes light at the end because he literally becomes stars. And he's also, like he said, still present visually in the, I guess, the landscape of the world. At night, in the darkness. That is, that is... It's slightly ironic, but also slightly foreboding. Isn't that interesting, huh? I yeah. really was struck by that, because I forgot about that. Like, I forgot his ending. And, I, like, I get why the American cut has him laughing at the end, be like, oh, he's still here. But I think that works just as well. This this thing of darkness becomes stars, which, you know, stars are, you know, suns or whatever, you know, in distance. Well, so. the sun's a big star, yeah. Yeah, but, like... They're mini-suns. Yeah, mini-suns, you know. Of st- the smallest caliber. Yeah, but, like, you know, suns or... Uh, they're, they're, beacons of light from symbology, distances. The symbology is like, you know, guiding light, things like that. And and he becomes a constellation, but also, like 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 we said, like he is forever in the night sky. Like, he's still in the darkness. And it's just like, whoa, okay. And like you said, his foreboding is still over us. Mm. He's still shrouding us. And it's just like, that is just as satisfying to me, if not more than just having him laugh over the credits. I don't need that. I think that works. I think that's a great way to end that character. I just wish that it just wasn't like doors explode. I just wish it was that little guy outside opened the door somehow, betrayed his former master who betrayed him or threw him. You know, like I wish that that character who tried to betray darkness at the very beginning, because that's the same character, right? Uh, I, is it the same character? Because he's was a not, helmet. Wasn't not the the elf one that fell in the dungeon that wanted to betray him, and that's the reason why he fell in the dungeon? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, that's yeah. what I mean. But he was the one stuck outside the door. When the door closes, he got stuck outside the door, and then he ducked when it exploded. You know right. what I'm talking about? That's, that's the same the character, because they save him from the pie. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been great if he had opened the door, and him opening the door lets the light in, so in the end, he does get to defeat the darkness like he wanted in the first act of the movie, and darkness threw him into the dungeon. Yeah, there would have been some poetry to that. Poetry. It rhymes. As George Lucas <laughs> said, it's like poetry it rhymes. Ryan, that was your last pick. Yeah, that was my last, last pick. But uh, my last ever pick, <laughs> I picked... That was your second last pick. But uh, there's a lot to enjoy. The sound design. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love the dance. What did you think about that? that My, it was pretty surreal because uh, part of me was like, what, 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 "Who is this character in the cloak?" But then I realized, like, "Oh, there is no character," and the cloak like becomes part of her. She, be- well, yeah, I saw it as a great visual way of showing her succumbing to the temptation that was offered with the box of mm. jewels instead of just having it be like she puts on the necklace and then oh she finds a dress and puts that on and like. I thought it was a great visual way of showing 
her going over to temptation, but also maybe some fan fantastical element to it of his darkness mm. using magic or fantasy elements it, to it was, it was corrupt her. In with fairy tale, one of the convention is that like you know dance and song can be used as like a sort of magical thing. Yeah. And the, the main example in this film being like used in a dark way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we often see it used in many dark ways. Villains dancing mm. with the heroines and trying to tempt them in the dance is often used in those fantasy things as well. Uh, you know, especially with the devil. The devil is always dancing in mm, some way, yeah. shape or form. It, with this kind of film, though, I was thinking like, oh, you know, since there are so many of these like dwarves, I feel like, oh, they're dwarves, they tend to be from like a culture that has like, you know, songs that they sing, you know. Yeah, so yeah. And they were little... dancing at the very beginning when they mm. go to the little camp. And obviously this film is, of course, Ridley Scott, as you saw, Prometheus uses a lot of religious imagery. This film has a lot of religious connotations to it. As I mentioned, there's an Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden type thing. He's literally the a devil. devil, a devil at least. I don't think he's the devil because he has his dad who seems superior to him. Mm. But yet again, you could argue, is the dad like, what is the dad? Is he a god creature? Because he's literally above... The dad is god from heaven being like my fallen child. <laughs> you know, as... Well, but he's also evil. Yeah. The dad, because he's like... woo Corrupter! Even the Christian god, the Bible says that he can be jealous. Yeah, that's and jealousy true. Jealousy is envy. And, uh, you know, there's some foundations there. But, like, uh, I do enjoy this movie. The score's amazing. I think Jerry Goldsmith's score hits on point. What do you think? Yeah, good. Um, let's talk about some negatives that we have. Any more that you have with the film? Striking negatives? Things that really just kind of make you go, okay, that is a thing. Honestly, it's mostly just that I wasn't vibing with it and the few minor things that we had of, like, you know, more of this, more of that. There isn't really anything major that I can, you know, point out and say, like, this really let me down. Not the audio? Because I find it very distracting, and it says it in the trivia, that... Pretty much all the audio in the forest scenes had to be dubbed over because they couldn't get the noise because they had literal birds. <laughs> and I found it very distracting that uh, uh, the first half of the movie, you can clearly tell that everyone's dubbed mm. in the forest. And then once they go to his castle, they're not dubbed anymore. Now that you mention it, I think there was a difference between the first half hour and the rest of the film. There's a very mm. disconnected feel there, and I think that is an unfortunate side effect to an already big problem of not being fully connected to this story in this world i guess because because um glicks and the the 18 year old child they had the same voice right the voice per provider yeah i think same? so yeah i guess i guess that was a little con um, dis can... dissonance there was like dissonance there of like do yeah. i buy that this voice is coming out of this not child actually <laughs> I thought it seemed like like I could buy that, but I yeah. just like it was just dubs. Like I noticed it was dubs. Like it's always a distracting thing when you notice a production element very uh, like the gears of the production being in your face and your the yeah. illusion is broken. Like I said with CG and modern movies, this has that problem of audio in this movie is very obvious and distracting. And uh, you sometimes you can forgive that, sometimes you can't. I just couldn't forgive it for a good portion of that first half, but. Uh, Tim Curry's voice is obviously modulated, and I forgive that, mm -hmm. because Tim Curry is just bringing it, as we said. He's just bringing it, bringing it, bringing it. It's a, it's a flawed movie. I'd have to watch it again to decide if it actually bothered me, but it, I, I think it went over my head when I watched it. But uh, I don't think 
I'm trying to think if there's any big plot things you want we want to mention or, or moments. Honestly, with plot, it just goes back to that whole like fairy tale convention. Like there is very much a like, and then they encounter this, and mm. then they encounter that. It just feels like yeah, that's that's how these stories kind of go. So I kind of forgive it if it's not like you know wowzers. Yeah, I will mention. Uh, sometimes the editing could be a little too jarring for me. The, oh these... right, there was one shot. Oh yeah. One transition. Go on. It was like they did a, lots of fades. <laughs> there was one where like the screen turned into a square and like flipped over. Oh yeah, that was when she got caught. Yeah, in just the net. just before it flipped over, there was like some sort of transition where I saw the picture like become the square just before it flipped over, and I found that jarring. I found the sequence where they were chasing after the unicorn that they shot with a blow dart intercutting mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise swimming in the water and the horse. I found that very, like, very quick and abrasive. Uh, and she's like, find my ring, blah, blah, blah. I also thought for some reason in my brain, you know, fantasy mixing up things, I thought that darkness somehow finds her ring and that adds to the courtship, but no. Would that have been in the other cut? No, no, no. I just think in my brain that would have made more sense. Like, wouldn't that have been cool? That is true, yeah. Wouldn't that have been an interesting story element? Darkness says, hey, you said that you'll marry who found the ring. I found the ring. I found your ring. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Let's get married. The end. (laughs) I love that whole discussion about what darkness does and dreams. That whole thing was amazing. Just him talking about dreams and just very, like, very magical and very fantasy, but just so brooding and sexual. Just because Tim Curry's a sexual being. Like, you can't not agree with that, people. Tim Curry just exudes, like, sex, sex. Not in all roles. Like, Oscar, he took a little while to get to that point, but he does eventually. Well, panties were money in that film. Things were different. Yeah, exactly. Um... But he's amazing, and, you know, we miss Tim Curry. Like, you know, like, he's still around. He does voice stuff, obviously, but, uh, you know, like, you know, I want that guy around in more stuff, man. Like, I understand he had a stroke a few years back, so he's kind of wheelchair-bound nowadays, but I want to hear him in more stuff. Last thing I heard him in was Over the Garden Wall, and that was, like, four or five years ago. So, but he, you know what he does? He does that app. I don't know what it's called, but that app where you hire celebrities... Oh, that to thing. To do, yeah. like... Is that, the th- is that the thing that, um... Five, pic- ten second thing? Yeah, was that the thing that Picture This got Gilbert Gottfried to... Yeah, one of our podcast friends yeah, that got app. Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, they, Tim Curry does that. And I'm like, great, I want him to do one for us. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hello. He just does Oscar for us. <laughs> Bartake and Ryan. Uh, what was it? He had some sexual joke in Oscar where it was about, like, a speech thing where it's like you got a... You got a hanging cleft. Oh, the dangling participle. Yeah, dangling participle. Watch yourself, Connie. You've got yourself a dangling participle. (laughs) (laughs) He just looks down. Tim Curry's the real real hero of this movie. I would watch another movie of him as this character where he comes back. I don't care. Or prequel. I don't know. I want to know more, but we'll never get it. Ridley Scott. um, Coming of age story between a father and son. Yeah, where the the dad's a chair, or whatever the fuck he was supposed to be. The dad's a what? He was a part of the chair, wasn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, something like that. Because when she tries to sit on it, the hands move, remember? I thought that was a great image, too, when she was going to sit on the chair, and, like, the hands of the chair, the sculpted hands move over so that she could put her hands on the armrests. Mm. I thought that was great. And the chair is, like, this organism that's, like, 
pulsating. It was very creepy, and we didn't get an explanation fully, but I don't need one. Um, so that's Legend. I don't think there's much more to say. It was just a very serene, atmospheric, surreal at times, very flawed movie that, uh, mm. you know, production issues were there. The story's a little too light on its feet, and Tom Cruise is a little bit too wooden for my liking, but... Uh, at least it was the longest he ever had his natural hair in a film. That was a fact. <laughs> yeah. Because he had a whole thing where he's like, I don't like cutting my hair for movies. That's what I read in the trivia. So. And I think, yeah, didn't he have long hair in uh, Rain Man or something like that? Yeah. He just is a weird Xenu man. Hmm. Uh, I'll praise Xenu. <laughs> I'll praise Xenu. You know, when in this film... Tom, if you're listening, we praise you, you and your Xenu energy. In this, in this film, he was in the snow a lot. I think he needs to go visit a volcano at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, nothing more to be said, I think. Yeah, this is a... It's a film that has a lot of work put into it, uh, very respectable, and you just have to see for yourself if it's your cup of tea. Yeah. I was concerned what you were going to think about it when I was watching it last, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I, but I, I think Bartek's going to be a little bit meh. I this. try to be as optimistic as I can when I do the podcast, so... But I think, I think... I'm all right with how I feel about this one. You think? You think you're all right with it? I think I think. I think I think I think. I think I think. I think I know. This will be the end of the episode where we just say, I think I think. <laughs> I know I think that, yeah. I know I know I think I think. <laughs> thinky thinky knowy. <laughs> bring bring tooky tooky. So that was our episode on Legend. A brilliant episode. Five star reviews on any podcatcher? I think so. I thought, I think, you, <laughs> I think you just said that, Ryan, but you, you wouldn't say that. You're the host. That must have been the listening people. Do you know that stars. you think that you know that? <laughs> I think, I think I know. I so, don't think that I know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm, you bitcha. So. <laughs> That's an old callback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I also made a Bring Bring Tuki Tuki reference, which is a George of the Jungle reference, I'm pretty sure. Oh, we didn't do that on the podcast. No, but everyone knows George of the Jungle. Uh, so, if you are inclined to email us with your thoughts, concerns, views, hell, even suggestions for future movies, our email is in the description of this episode, but it is, in case you need to hear it, spit and polished at gmail.com. We always appreciate hearing from you, the listening people. You can also reach us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can find us pretty easily. And we have a YouTube page. People making comments and suggestions and little views on our YouTube videos. Little we had views, a, like, like Baby's Day Out. Uh, we had one recently on our Revenge of the Sith episode where someone was like, I was doing my laundry while listening to this and I like the movie, but I totally agree with your standpoints on certain things. And we agree with your laundry. We agree that you did laundry. I hope you did it well. Uh, Remember, yeah. fold the clothes. Fold them. That's or, what my mum told me. Or wash them, at least. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, yeah, and raid reviews on whatever podcatcher allows it. Share us with all your friends and, uh, you know, just uh, keep watching movies, keep enjoying stuff, keep being a cool individual. Now, Bartek, our episode for next episode our uh, episode for next episode, our uh, episode for next week I, is... I'll think for next no. <laughs> think, 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 no, no, bring, bring. The movie for next week's episode. Movie for next week's episode is Listening People's Recommendation. Mm-hmm, and we've looked at the list. We've looked at the list and checked it twice. <laughs> we're going to find out which Christmas film we're going to do. <laughs> we already did Jingle All The Way. We're going to be doing a movie. Cool. 
Hey, we're gonna Finally. be Finally. Biotech, Biotech, Biotech. I think you're gonna know what movie we're gonna be doing because it's gonna be a movie, 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 movie! Oh wow, this has been coming. We for are a gonna while. be doing <laughs> Who Killed Captain Alex, the first Ugandan action movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> this has been on the listening recommendation list from the very beginning, and we've been it pushing it back for a little while because it's like, oh, let's give other movies a chance, but let's give Uganda's first action movie, Who Killed Captain Alex, uh, uh, watch. <laughs> Jordan, you better listen to this episode. So from my understanding, this is a very easy to access movie. I think it's on their YouTube page. I, th- I think they're very, very easily distributing this film, yeah. You can they always... want people to watch it. So Who Killed Captain Alex, I can't remember what year it's from, but it's a very easy to find movie. It's Uganda's first action movie. It's, it's a... from the 2010s, yeah. It's from the 2010s, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, 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 it's a great movie. Hopefully, I haven't actually got to watch it myself. Yeah. So From what we understand, it's a very pure film that loves film. Now, to give a little bit of forewarning to people who haven't seen it before and are going to watch it, there is a video Joker on the movie, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's B- already quoted him once. BJ Emmy is on the mic. So prepare yourself for VJ Emmy. That's just a feature of Ugandan movies, apparently. If you, you, you don't know what a video joker is, <laughs> just prepare yourself. The movie only has the video joker. And, gotta be honest, from my understanding is, you get used to it. <laughs> you get warmed up to it. So prepare yourself for VJ Emmy, who's on the mic. Um, and this is the famous movie that brought everyone the great Ugandan Knuckles meme because that's the one where they have show us the way or whatever that quote was. So prepare yourself for some memes to be had because this is a meme generated movie apparently. But uh, that will be what we're checking out next episode. So Bartek, are you excited? I'm very much looking forward to it. Are you excited for action movie extravaganza? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one picking on American films. <laughs> movie, movie, movie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we've been doing a few foreign films at late. Handmaiden, Main Huna, Tokyo Godfather. Well, to be fair, every second episode for me is one, which my next one has to be one too. I'll have to think of what Does it, it have to be it one? It has to be, because my recent one was Small Soldiers, and that's American. <laughs> I love how he chooses British. Well, all of them are foreign to us. Well, Yeah. Unless we choose well, Australian movies. Which was my first non-American film that I picked. Oh, <laughs> so that's about it, listening people. So make sure to check that out. Thanks for listening to the episode. Bartek, a pleasure to talk movies Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Until next time, listening people, remember, movie, 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 movie! Well, you can end the next episode with that as well. <laughs> no, this is how we end the episode on Legend. <laughs> Hyping up the next movie, Bartek, which is... A movie with dinosaurs. Okay. I'm thinking a German film for my next pick, so I'll have to find a German line for the end of next episode, maybe. Achtung, baby. (laughs) Achtung, baby. (laughs)